The recording for this week begins a few minutes into Wednesday night's message. What we mean by a sovereign is God is absolutely free. No one can compel him. No one can hinder him. No one can stop him. Those are all fundamental truths that come from the fact that God is free, that God is all-knowing, He's all-powerful, He's he's all-loving, He's all-present. Psalm 103, verse 19 says, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His sovereignty rules over all. Now, where we're going to walk through and try to look at this and apply this is what does that mean played out in our lives as human beings who have some very will ability, at least from our perspective, to make moral choices, good and bad, but yet God is in control and He's sovereign and He's directing all things. What what does that mean as we processed through that? And I just want to remind everybody, Deuteronomy 29, 29, we looked at the very beginning last week. It says, the secret things of the Lord belong to the Lord. The revealed things of the Lord belong to us that we would know Him, follow Him, and walk with Him. Meaning, there are aspects of who God is, of what God is like, and of how He operates, what He is doing, that are beyond our ability to fully understand. So we better be careful to understand what He makes clear and reveals, and not to speculate on what we can't fully fathom. That's where we get in dangerous places, and we come up with really stupid and poor theology So, God's governance. Again, a little bit of this will be repeat from last week, but we're going to work through it. God has complete and total, then, control sovereignty over nature. Psalm 135, verse 5 through 6. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and earth and the seas and all the deeps. We see uh, James 5 references 1 Kings 17 and 18 where Elijah prays and the Lord stops it from raining for three years over the land of Israel. Uh, We see when, when Jesus comes in the incarnation and he storms are at sea, right? What does Jesus say? Peace be still. And what happens to that storm? Instant peace gone. We see this week, uh, we see this week, uh, this last Sunday in Jonah. There probably wasn't, if there had been a meteorology uh, report that day, there probably wasn't a storm on the report because the Lord hurled that storm. The Lord Lord intervened and, and then used nature and that storm came up. God was in complete control Job says, God removes the mountains, they know not how. He overturns them in his anger. He who shakes the earth out of its place, who commands the sun not to shine, sets a seal upon the stars, who makes the bear, Orion, Pleiades, and the chambers of the south, who does great things. God has complete and total control over nature. Nature cannot all of a sudden rise up one day and go, you know what, God, we don't like you, we're going to do our own thing. With that comes the fact that God has governance. He has sovereignty over wild animals. We see God shuts the mouth of lions in the lion's den, Daniel 6. We see God, uh, 1 Kings 17, brings birds to feed Elijah. Uh, that's, uh, we remember back when we looked on Palm Sunday at Jesus. Jesus says there will be a, uh, a young goat, a young donkey. And I'd go to young donkey. And that donkey was there, just like he said. God has control over even the animals. When we come more more to, okay, what about the interaction of all creation? We see in Scripture that God has governance over, above, and even through what seems like random or chance events. Proverbs 16.33 says this, and that's not on your sheet, so Proverbs 16.33 if you're writing them down. The lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. 
Now, that's not Scripture's way of saying every time you cast lots, it's always going to be what God wants it to be. It's not. That would be an overstretch. What it is saying is you and I as humans can cast lots. We can play, play with chance, but ultimately God is the one who determines and, and is in control of everything. We see this. I, I mentioned to you the passage last week from 1 Kings 22 where Ahab knows that God has said he will die and he goes, I'm going to I'm going to pull one over on God. I'm not going to go into battle as king. I'm going to dress as a random soldier. And in the middle of this fierce battle with war raging around, a warrior on the other side, a specific warrior, not just anyone, but someone, finds an arrow and shoots it at random in the sky. And that arrow doesn't just hit Ahab, but it hits Ahab in a chink in the armor where it's able to go through and sever enough of an artery that he bleeds out. And what seems like total chance and the way it's even written is also a complete and total fulfillment of God's governance because God said, you're going to die in this battle. This is how it's going to happen. And it happened. Even over seemingly chance events, God is sovereign. Jesus with the the woman at the well, John 4, that was a day of rest. There was no ministry on the agenda that day for Jesus and the disciples. They stopped there because they were thirsty. But yet, even in what seemed like a random and chance encounter, Jesus recognizes the Father's sovereignty there. Here's an opportunity. Let's talk to this woman. Translate that to you and I. You never know when the person you're sitting next to on the airplane is in fact there, not by chance, but because God has ordained something. And so you and I have to be sensitive there. We see God is over over and even works through what seems like maybe random or chance events. God's governance, his sovereignty is over the affairs of nations and history. We've referenced Acts 17 multiple times where it says that God, that God has made from one man every nation of mankind and he's determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, which quite literally means there has never been a kingdom in the world that has had freedom and power to expand their borders beyond what the Lord allows or directs depending on what his activity is in that. That means should one nation rise up and say, we're going to conquer the world, not going to happen. At least, you know, not going to happen before the end times. Because God's appointed for there to be many nations. And a nation can't overstep God's ruling. We, we see this. This is even a question. It's got to make us wonder questions. If God is active in the affairs of history and, and nations, um, while God does not in any way approve of or is behind the evil of what Russia is doing in Ukraine, what is God using that to ultimately move things towards? Because he's not far and absent and unaware, but he's either engaged in it very directly somehow or indirectly allowed. And we'll come back to that question here in in a minute, but understand God's governance is over the nations, uh, which means even through take covid I'm not saying, again, hear me carefully, I'm not saying God caused it or didn't cause it. What I am saying is COVID didn't happen apart from, at minimum, God allowing. What is God actively at work doing? Where are things going? History is not just moving along at random, and when God decides, He'll, God is driving history towards a specific end. What is God doing? We see this. Oh, we see the plan of redemption work out in this way. At the right moment in human history, according to um, 
According to Galatians 4, God sends Jesus. We see this play out. We see God's governance over all aspects of our lives. Now, I've, I've broken this up into some, some categories here. All aspects of our lives, God's governance, His sovereignty plays out in. So, what about individual plans? Listen, not one of us in this room can our plans somehow subvert God's. You go, well, God, I don't want you to come back. Too bad, too sad. He's coming back. God, I don't want the only way to salvation to be by grace through faith. Too bad, too sad. The only way to salvation is by grace through faith. You and I's plans, no one's plans can subvert God's plans. We find in this that we look throughout Scripture, we see that God does have per- personal and specific plans for people's lives. First Samuel, uh, Samuel's mother's praying, and, and, and she makes the same. The Lord kills, the Lord makes alive. The Lord brings down to shield, the Lord raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. The Lord brings low, he also exalts. Basically driving at this, that, that even in life when you see things, it's not a statement that says every rich person you see is rich because God made them rich. But what it means is this, there's no one who just truly by their own power and ability did it all. We see Galatians 1 and Jeremiah 1, both passages. Paul's writing in Galatians, Jeremiah and Jeremiah. Both of them speak of, God, you, you made us and fashioned us and purposed us for this purpose, going back to our mother's womb and even before. God does, in fact, in his sovereignty and his governance, have personal, real, specific plans for our lives. It's not, I'm going to hear that. That doesn't... That doesn't mean that, well, God has, for some people, a real specific plan. So you take, you take a heavy hitter, take a, take a Babe Ruth, a.k.a. let's go with Billy Graham. God's got a plan for Billy Graham. Yeah, and God's got a plan for you too. And God may in his plan with Billy have exalted Billy to be a voice that more people heard preach the gospel than anybody else in history. And God may in his plan for you have been the voice to demonstrate and show and tell the gospel of Christ in a classroom for 30 years. And in God's eyes, the size and scope is not what is great. It's whether or not we were faithful with open hands to be yielded to what he wanted to do. God has plans for our lives now. So God has a specific plan. God has, here's the flip side, no one, because God does not in his governance provide protect us from the experience of people sinning against us and harm and suffering, understand this. No one, because God is sovereign, no one can rob you or me of God, from God's plan on our lives. may feel like it sometimes, but no one can in fact rob us of God's plan for our lives. Because if they could, that means they would somehow have more power than God. Now, I'll give you this proviso. God in his sovereignty, we read this quote, we'll come back to it last week. God in his control, when he created everything, made you and I in his image. Which means there is a kind of moral free will that he has given you and I as humans. We don't have unlimited free will. You can't decide right now that you're going to fly and go outside and fly. You can't decide right now that you really don't like the law of gravity because if gravity was a little different... um, Certain readings at the doctor would be different. You don't have that authority or power. What you and I have is the ability to make moral choices that have eternal consequences. 
And that's under God's sovereignty. And God's sovereignty, he's given that. So the proviso with God's plan is this, that inside of God's plan, the only one who can, if you will, alter God's, God's plan, not that we over-trump God, but you and I can disqualify ourselves from what he would want to do. And we see examples of that all throughout Scripture. We see examples of that in modern day. Think about the man that God's called to be a pastor. There's a moral failing. Well, obviously, he is then removed. Was it God's will? Was it God's plan? Does God delight in that moral failing? No. And there will be consequences for that in that pastor's life. But as only a God who is sovereign and good can, God will also, if that pastor really falls humbly and repents, God will bring about some restoration and continue to use that person for eternity. Flip side, more of a morbid but serious nature is what about, uh, what about the person who commits suicide? Well, clearly that's not God's plan for the end of their life. Because God gives none of us permission to take our own life. So you and I can do some things that can shortchange what God would desire in or through our life, but it's not because we somehow overrule God's plans. It's because inside of God's plan, God gives you and I the aspect to choose to follow or choose not to. And praise the Lord that for most of us in those choices, just like we see with Jonah last week and the next several weeks, God is really faithful even when we're really dumb to be very patient and gracious with us and bring us back to a place where we are walking where we're supposed to and saying yes. We see God's governance over spiritual gifts. Listen, the Holy Spirit, when you and I are saved, He's the one who determines what spiritual gifts we get, not you or I, not you or me. And any denomination that tells you that if you're really walking with the Lord, you will in fact have this gift, lie. There is not one gift that all of us get. All of us get whatever gift God decides we get. And you and I, according to Paul, can ask for other gifts, but he's the one who determines what we get, when we get, and what it's used for, not us. We see God's governance over circumstances. He is in control over the circumstances of our lives, broadly and specifically. We see him working and orchestrating through. David cries out in Psalm 31, But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies, those who persecute me. We see this played out in the book of Esther, who knows, Esther, if for such a time as this, God has, God has taken and brought beauty out of the horrible circumstances that probably felt like God wasn't in control when you got ripped from your family, when the Persians conquered, when, when you got brought in and had to go through the horrible process of what it would have been to become queen. But who knows if God didn't allow you to be in this place for such a time as this to stand up that he would use you to bring deliverance to the Jewish people. So just practically, church family, if God's really in control over the circumstances of our lives, we better be very, very careful about complaining. Now, that's not me saying there can't be moments of frustration and God's going to strike us if you just voice your frustration. God understands we're human. God understands the limits. I'm not saying there can't be sorrow, grief. Doesn't mean you have to like our circumstances. But we need to be very careful about constantly complaining about how awful and horrible life is. Or I just wish I could live at another point in this. Hour. Listen, if God is really in control, then it needs to be a reality that, okay, God, if you're really in control and I'm really yours, then I'm going to embrace the fact that you've either brought me here or allowed me to be here. Either way, you're not confused. You're on your throne. You're in control. And there should be a hope that fills my heart if minimum from that. And we're going to march forward. It means you and I are... Uh, well, that comes with the next part. God's sovereign over the days of our lives means it's not a mistake that you and I are living now. 
It's not a mistake that you and I are alive now. And it won't be a mistake when the years down the road, if things get worse and there's persecution that comes, that we're living then. And so as much as we might go, man, I wonder what it would be like to live back in this or go that. Listen, that's one, yeah, that's fine. You can imagine stuff, but don't ever get to think, well, I, I'm just a, a man out of time. I'm just a woman out of time. No, you and I aren't a man or woman out of time. We're a man and woman born in God's time. And on a side note, the way we see God playing out in this, sometimes we see God's very direct involvement in our circumstances. God brings it about very directly. It's very obvious to Bethany and I, and I think it was an obvious church family, God very directly brought us together. God called us here. God called me to be your pastor. God used you to call here. It was very direct. It was obvious God was leading. We see God's direct involvement in it. God is very directly involved in our circumstances. That includes, in that story, that includes six other churches in the year prior that I said no to. That includes the search committee here saying no to me and then me saying no to them and then God bringing it, getting, getting a hold of all of us and bringing it back. That includes, right, we see God's very direct involvement sometimes in our circumstances where God is very actively causing and moving and making. But God also sometimes, he's not causing it, but he's, he's simply sovereign over it and allowing us to experience the world according to the way it's set up. So here's what I mean by this. Sometimes we'll call it God's indirect involvement. You all of a sudden get caught at that red light. It could be God's protecting you for something. Could also be God just lets you get caught at the red light because that's just the way it works. And the Lord should be the one to make it clear if it's something more or if it's just that's the way, that's the way it is. So God is directly involved. God is indirectly involved. God governs. God allows. Listen, we see this governance not in, in circumstances. We see it that it comes hand in hand and comes through the actions of men and women. The sovereignty of God is not merely a matter of circumstances of life or behaviors of, of nature. The free actions of humans are also part of God's working. We see that God works, he orchestrates his plans, his purpose, his will through the actions of people. We see it through righteous actions. When, when, when Saul goes into the cave to, to use the restroom, and David spares his life. What does David say? God delivered you into my hands. What does Saul say? Thank you for sparing my life because God delivered me into your hands. We see God working through, through righteous actions. David sparing Saul. We see uh, God put it into the heart of the king of Persia, Ezra chapter 7, to, to send the people of God back, back to, back to uh, their homeland. Now, likely Cyrus didn't know that was God who put that idea in his mind, but we see God, it was, it was a, a righteous action, sense of it was, a, it was a good thing. He sent him back. We see that God works. God told Moses, the people of Egypt are going to literally pay you and bless you to leave. And then we see when it comes time for the Israelites to leave, the people of Egypt, according to the word of their own accord, bless and give and give them to leave. God works through man's actions. God also works through man's sinful actions. Joseph, brothers, which you meant for evil, God has meant for good. God did not approve of them desiring to kill him. God did not instigate or tempt them to do that. God did not instigate or tempt them to sell him into slavery. That was their own sin. That was wickedness. That was rebellion against what God's heart and will is. 
but as only a God who is completely and totally sovereign, who really does possess all control, he can take decisions in rebellion against him and work through them to bring about his ultimate plan, which is, okay, you send him down. I'm going to preserve him. I'm going to protect him. I'm going to raise him up to be the second most powerful man in the world because Egypt was the most powerful empire at that time. And I'm going to use that power and position to protect my people and grow them to be ready to take the, the promised land. It's this governance why, this sovereignty why we can rest certainly that according to Philippians 2, there is absolutely coming the moment when all of us in joy will bow and take a knee and confess that Jesus is Lord. But we'll also see every person who doesn't believe bow, take a knee and confess Jesus is Lord to their horror, to our joy. Why can we be certain of that? Because God is in fact a God of providence who is actually governing creation via his sovereignty. Now listen, this brings some challenges if you start processing through it. Well, God's providence, his sovereignty, his will, his plan, is it general or is it specific? By general, and again, these are two broad categories. If you do some digging, you can find some really crazy people in both. I'm not trying to address the crazies because I'm assuming you're not a crazy in here tonight. Uh, We're going to give a little benefit of the doubt. But general, what we mean, and this, this would typically be, be, be people more of an Arminian persuasion towards things, would by general mean uh, God has got a general plan. I'm going to create everything. I'm going to make people in my image, and they're going to fall, and I'm going to re- redeem them. And, uh, but, it, but it's general, and there's going to be a lot, depending for various reasons on where you fall, a lot of freedom based on what men and women choose to do. God sees everything. He foreknows everything. He'll respond to it all. Uh, The other side would be specific where we say God doesn't just have these general plans, but God has specific plans in every little detail. And then again, there's a range of that. Some would say there's these specific plans to every little detail and man's choice works in compatibility with that. Others would go to the other say, no, man doesn't have any real choice. It's all predetermined. It's just we're living it out, right? So there's spectrums in this. What do you see in scripture based on the things we see? Reality is you see both. You see both in scripture. You see that God created all the world. You see that God determined and knew every little detail. We see that God does not limit himself. God doesn't go, I know all things and I'm all powerful, but I'm going to check a little bit of that so that you can have kind of some freedom. God doesn't check any power. The only time God limited himself is when Jesus took on flesh. And for a very specific purpose in redemption. But the Father and the Spirit didn't limit themselves. We see that God does have general plans. He creates, he redeems, he's moving all things. The whole ship of human history is going towards the end, but we also see that God's plans are specific. You can't say God's plans aren't specific when he says, I know every hair on your head. God is a very much a God of details, and no detail is unimportant. The reality is we see both, and we see both operating in a way that for us to fully understand, we're not paid enough to. We can't fully fathom that because we are limited creatures, bound by time, bound by brains. What do we use? We only use 10%, like was it 10% of the human brain that we know how to use? We don't even know how to use all of what we've been given. And we've been doing it for thousands of years, and no humans cracked it. We are limited trying to understand a God who is unlimited and exists outside of time. Good luck with that. I haven't gotten very far. That's why I try to just stick with what Scripture says really clearly. The reality is we see both. There is, and, and at times we see his work generally in our lives. Use that example last week. 
Does God have someone he wants you to marry? Yeah. But does God, is God going to give you freedom and certain parameters to date somebody? Sure. But at sometimes, so we sometimes see God playing out generally. But we also see times when God plays it out specifically. I said no to these churches because God specifically wanted me at this church. These dating relationships didn't work out in following the Lord because God wanted Bethany and I to get, right? Like we see both at play in our lives. The reality is this. I shared with you the quote from A.W. Tozer. God sovereignly decided that man should be free to exercise moral choice. And man from the beginning has fulfilled that, that decision by making his choice between good and evil. So when a human chooses to do evil, they aren't somehow subverting the sovereign, absolute control will of God, but they're fulfilling it in as much as the decision did not choose what we would decide for us, but that we should be free to make that choice. We have a type of free will because God is sovereign. And if he wasn't sovereign, he wouldn't give us that type of free will because he wouldn't be able to be sure his plans would come to fruition. It's because he's completely in control that we have a type of free will. It means the mighty liner of God's sovereign design is steady. This is, this is Tozer again, steady on the course through the sea of history. God moves undisturbed and unhindered to the fulfillment of those purposes which he purposed in Christ Jesus before the world began. It means, listen, no one can stop God's plan. No one. You and I can fight against his plan for our lives only in the sense of he allows us the right to say yes or the right to say no. And praise the Lord, he still continues to move and work and, 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 and wrestle with us. But the reality is it does not matter what global power rises up. It does not matter if all the forces, by the way, they do. All the forces of darkness from all time will come together and they will still all lose in an instant. Because nothing can stop God's plan. Jesus is coming back. We will see him exalted. The trump will sound, the heavens will part, and Jesus will descend with the army of angels. It's going to happen. The new heaven and new earth are going to happen. No government even today where the Holy Spirit chooses to start moving in might and power, it doesn't matter how oppressive the government, they can't stop it. The Soviet Union couldn't stop it. The Roman Empire couldn't stop it. China can't stop it today. Putin can't stop it today. And no matter what happens in this country, our politicians can't stop it today. Because God is, in fact, sovereign. And his plans do come out, which is why our job is not to try. Now, I'm going to be careful here. Your job should be to understand everything God has given us clear to understand. To not do that is to be lazy. But we also understand that we will never fully understand some of these things this side of heaven, if ever, but at least this side of heaven. And so our job is not to get hung up on how does all this play out and this and that. We can wonder, we can wrestle. And listen, some things are going to happen to you and to me in life that are going to cause us to wrestle with this. God, if you're really in control, what does that mean for this? But our job is not to understand it all. Our job is not to control it all. Our job is to know him. It's to trust him. It's to love him and it's to follow him. And that includes weeping when we don't understand and pouring out our heart before him like Mary at Lazarus' death. So my question is, is God's will general or specific? Another question is, well, if God's really in control, does that mean that evil's God's fault? Because God's really in control. If he's really sovereign, then what, what does that mean for him? And by the way, but, uh, 
I have sat in a class where I have listened to students raise their hand and say, you know, it was God's will, professor, for Adam and Eve to eat the fruit in the garden so that God could get, Jesus could get supreme glory on the cross. And that's absolute nonsense. It was not God's will. It's not God's will ever for anyone to sin. If it's God's will for someone to sin, then God is okay with sin. And he's not. Why? James says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. And he doesn't tempt anyone. Instead, each person is tempted when they're carried away and enticed by their own lust. Why can't God tempt us? Because he's not tempted by evil. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, all of the evil in the world is not from the Father, but is from the world. Habakkuk 1.13, your eyes, God, are too pure to approve evil. God, you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Listen, God can work through evil. Sometimes God prevents evil. Sometimes God allows evil. Sometimes God directs the evil that he knows we're going to choose and ultimately uses it for his purposes. You think of Joseph and his brothers or, or think of a story like Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and the other three men killed in Ecuador by the Alca Indians. That was an evil action. God did not will their murder. But God used their murder to open a door for those wives to go back in and that entire tribe, for the most part, come to faith in Christ. Because only a God who is sovereign can direct through it. God can limit what scope sin has. Listen, Satan didn't get to touch Job's life without God's allowance. God didn't cause it. God didn't allow it. That's a hard thing to wrestle with. Because it's, it's easy to read it and go, wow, I mean, Job, Job lost it all. He lost every ounce of fortune. He lost every child. His wife turned on him and then physically came down with severe pain, but not pain enough where he'd be allowed to die. There's a hard question there to wrestle with. And ironically, God does answer Job, but God never answers him why it all happens. But we want to be clear. When we say God is sovereign, that does not mean God authors evil. It does not. Evil happens because God has allowed us a type of free will that can choose his will, his goodness, or can choose wickedness. And the challenge is that sometimes that wickedness touches our lives personally. And we need to understand because God is sovereign, I want to understand this. Sometimes that wickedness touches our lives personally, but get this, when, when God came and took on flesh, he didn't spare himself. Jesus experienced every bit of the same level of wickedness you and I experience. And the other reality is this, is that as a believer in Christ, there is no level of suffering you and I experience in this life that God does not redeem and ultimately reward in eternity. What does Jesus say? Anyone who gives up father, mother, brother, sister, this, that, and the other for my sake will be rewarded umpteen fold. So is God responsible for No. Sometimes he prevents it. Sometimes he allows it. And allowing it, sometimes he directs it. Sometimes he limits it. And here's the reality. It's not just sometimes he limits. The reality is God's actively limiting sin, period, right now. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, talking about the Antichrist, says, you know what restrains the Antichrist now. 
so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. Why is the Antichrist not come? Why? Let me give you a question. If we really believe that man born apart from God is by nature depraved and a sinner and prone to wickedness, here's the real question. Why aren't things worse? Because God is actively limiting how much sin can run rampant. And there will come a point in the tribulation where God releases that restraint. So it's not just that God sometimes limits it. God is always limiting it. Question that was brought up a couple weeks ago. If God's really in control, if he's really sovereign, if he's really got these plans, then does prayer really matter? If God's already decided what's going to happen, does prayer really matter? So again, what we're going to do, we're not going to assume things. We're just going to, we're going to, what does scripture clearly pray? Well, one, God commands us to pray. What is the will of God for your life and my life? Well, according to 1 Thessalonians 5, God's will for our life in Christ Jesus is that we pray without ceasing. So one, God commands us to pray. Two, Jesus taught us how to pray. Lord's prayer Three, Jesus modeled a life was of prayer, as was his habit. He went and got alone and prayed. So God doesn't just command us it, but he commands us to do something that he thought was of utmost importance, and he had a perfect relationship with himself because Jesus prayed. We also see throughout Scripture that God likes to work, work out his sovereign governing plan in conjunction with the prayers and petition of his people. Mark chapter 6, Jesus talking about Nazareth. He says he's amazed at the lack of faith in Nazareth. And the influence, the, the inference is because people in Nazareth aren't bringing him any of their sick or needy. The implication being that Jesus desired, it was his will, his plan to heal more, but there was a failure of response on the part of the people that impacted whether or not they experienced it. We see Matthew chapter 14. God has absolutely got the power to give all the disciples the ability to walk on water, but only one of them asked to. Only one of them asked to. We see James chapter 5 talking about Elijah's prayer. It indicates that Elijah was a man like us with a nature like us. He prayed and it, and the, and it didn't rain and he prayed it would rain and it did. It seems to indicate according to James that, that Elijah's prayers actually mattered in God doing what he wanted and desired to do. We see Matthew 17, Jesus, the disciples come and say, we couldn't cast out these demons. What do we do? And what is his answer? Without much prayer and fasting, influences, there was an issue with their prayer life. So we see all throughout scripture, God commands us to pray, Jesus modeled prayer, and God likes to move in a way that is a true mystery to us, but God likes to move through the prayers of his people. So the question is not, does it, yes, it matters. Now, if you want the scientific atomic breakdown, God doesn't give us that, but he says, yes, it matters. He calls us to pray. He tells us to pray. What we need to be careful, though, is that we pray God's will. God, Jesus taught us to pray his will be done before he taught us to pray, give us our daily bread. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15 says this, 1 John 5, 14 and 15, this is the confidence which we have before God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 
And he knows that he hears us in whatever we ask. We know that we have the request we ask for. Here's what it means. It means God does have plans and purposes. And as you and I pray, we need to be sensitive that our prayer life isn't just our wish list, but that we're really seeking to pray what is as well. And by the way, the overwhelming majority of God's will, he tells us in scripture, there's a lot of stuff you and I can pray in the will of God if we'll just read what scripture tells us to pray. But then on specific things, we've got to learn to pray, Lord, not just heal this person or please let this person marry this person or Lord, if this is your will. We've got to learn to to be sensitive to the will of God because here's the reality. God does answer no to our prayer at times. Jesus prayed three times in the garden, take this cup. Got a no and said, not my will, but yours be done. Paul prayed three times, take this thorn, got a no and therefore submitted to his will. We've got to make sure that as we're praying, because prayer does matter, but we've got to make sure that we're praying in line of his will. Prayer does matter. And are there things that God would desire to do that we won't experience because we refuse to pray? Not because he refuses to work and move, but because we refuse to take the posture he wants us in to really experience what he's doing. So how do we apply all of this? Three real quick things as we wrap up. We've got six minutes, and I'm going to give you the three quick things. One, God really is in control, so therefore we've got to trust him and rest in his providence. God really is in control. God is bigger than you. God is bigger than me. God is bigger than everyone else. Things are not spiraling into chaos from his perspective. They sure look like it from ours, but not from his. He is completely and totally in control of everything. So we better be sensitive and seeking to recognize, God, what are you up to? We better be seeking to honor him. God's bigger than us. God knows more than us and everybody else. So we can't fully fathom how all of this works together. So we need to recognize our limits. God really does personally love you and everyone else more than anyone else, including yourself. Which means when we see God's governance, his governance is good. God's will is good. He is working for good, not for evil both in our lives and in the world. The nation that seeks his will will guarantee itself the knowing of his good. The problem is the lack of good in our world is not, is not an issue with God's governance, but with an issue of the fact that most of our nations reject his good. But we know he's still sovereign because when we reject his good, we receive the chaos and discipline he says will come when we reject his good. We also see his governance as deeply personal. God who is sovereign, who is steering all of history, he's the same God who cares about going after the one sheep who's lost. Who knows the numbers of hair in her head, who calls us by our name, who watches over and protects. So in light of this, we can thank him for all things. We can trust him. His providence is a good thing. Listen, God's sovereignty, his providence, his governance, whichever term we want to use here in scripture is not meant to be this thing that we all of a sudden have these horrible philosophical and theological debates over. It is meant to fill you and meant to fill me with hope because we do live in a world broken and battered by sin where the reality is all of us live our lives discovering just how little control we really have over anything. You and I don't even have control over our own bodies. If we did, not one of us would ever choose to get sick, yet we don't get to control that. We don't have control over whatever our last day of life is. If we did, we'd probably keep extending it out. And we don't know when it's coming. 
we have very little control. And the knowledge that God is in control, that he's sovereign, that he's good, that he is in even when things look horrible, it is meant to fill you and I with hope. Elizabeth Elliot said, the reason I can keep a quiet heart is because I know he is in control. God is really in control. Therefore, we better be careful not to embrace lesser thoughts about God. It means we need to be careful. There's not a, such a thing as luck or chance or superstition. That's why I don't play with astrology and horoscopes. Those things, uh, those things at best aren't real or at worst are, you, are tools of the demonic. It means we need to be careful to not attribute things to God that are evil. Let me give you an example. There were, a group of churches one time said this. To, they, they had, their country had been in absolute ruin and, and things started to look up. They said this, to this turn of history, we say a thankful yes. God has given him to us. To God be the glory. As bound to God's word, we recognize in these great events of our day a new commission of God to his church. We are full of thanks to God that he as Lord as his history has given us Adolf Hitler as our leader and savior from this difficult lot. We acknowledge that we with body and soul are bound and dedicated to the German state and to its Fuhrer. This bondage and duty contains us for us as evangelical Christians, its deepest and most holy significance in its obedience to the command of God. End quote. We better be careful what leaders we say, this is God's appointed, anointed leader, because many times we have gotten it wrong. And that mistake of German churches looms large over all sides of the political spectrum today and the church. We better be careful to not overread every little thing in God's will. I, I, I dated a sweet girl one time, and she was like, you know, I just, if ever I can't find my keys, I just assume because if I, if I had found my keys, I would have gotten in an accident, and God protected me from it. Well, that could be. Could also just be God lets us lose our keys sometimes. Because <laughs> you didn't get enough sleep the night before. I don't know. We need to be careful that we don't misuse God's sovereignty over things. We don't need to assume that if we lack something, it's just because there's a sin issue. Look, if God's really in control of our lives, it could be, uh, I dealt with this a lot with college students, so I realize it might be dated here, but I think everyone can get the principle. It could be you're single because there's some major sin issues in your life that God's trying to get you to grow up on. Could be God's really in control over the plan of your life, and the reason you're single till 26 is because God wanted you to spend four years as a single youth pastor at a church whose youth group was bottoming out, and they needed a single youth pastor who could show up at every game and go to every lunch and not have to worry about stuff at home. Hence why Paul says, I'd encourage all of you to stay single, not because God says it, but because you don't have to worry about taking care of a spouse or taking care of kids. We need to be careful not to use the sovereignty of God in trying to comfort sorrow in inappropriate ways. It's easy for us when someone we love dies of old age in a sweet way in, the, in, their, dead, in, their, in their bed to go, you know what, what a joy to know God's in control. And he took her home. But we need to be careful when we say, you know what, God's in control. And when your family member was brutally murdered, that was his will to take them home. God's will is never murder. Now, was God in control? Did he allow it to happen? Absolutely. Did he allow a man to walk up to my grandmother's front door and ring the doorbell and put three bullets in her heart? Yep, he did. 
He allowed it. It didn't escape his control. But I don't see anything in Scripture that tells me that was God's perfect plan and will. Because that means God has to approve murder, and he doesn't. We need to be careful how we use. In fact, it's because God is sovereign. If we use God's sovereignty to try to get people to not be sad, we've made a mistake. In Scripture, it's God's sovereignty that gives us permission to be sad because he is, in fact, in control, and we can find comfort from the God who is sovereign. Last thing, real quick. If God is really in control, then we need to be faithful out of faith. Here's what I mean by that. Living out God's plan for your life doesn't just depend on you or me. In fact, living out God's plan for our life depends on His grace through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. So if we all of a sudden get caught up in this terrifying, fearful, oh no, if I make the wrong, if, if God's will is that I choose a strawberry popsicle and I choose a blueberry popsicle, then everything's going to be messed up. Okay, that's not how it works. It's not, up to, it's not all dependent upon you or I. At the same time, we can't go, well, God's totally in control, so you know what? I just, yeah, I'm just going to do whatever I'm going to do. It doesn't matter. False. It does matter. If God is really in control, then we can rest and trust him. We can resist making stupid claims with his sovereignty, and instead we can seek to honor out of the glory of who he is to faithful by, the, by his grace and the power of the Holy Spirit out of a faithful, we can walk faithfully because we really actually have faith in who he is if he's really in control, and he is, so we can do that. Romans 11, verse 33, says this, and this is where we'll end, because I know there's a few choir folk. I'm not trying to keep you. This is legitimately where we're ending. I'm going to read this verse and a quote, and we're done. Romans 11, verse 33, Paul's talking about things that none of us still understand in chapters 9, 10, and 11, and this is what he says. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How unfathomable are his ways. For, he who, who, for who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has become his counselor? Who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. God is so far above and beyond us that we're not going to be able to fully understand all of his providence, but we can absolutely rest in glory and bask that he is a God of providence. And it's because of his control. This is what uh, this is. This is from Elizabeth Elliot. There's a message she gave on the sovereignty of God, and this was um, she was describing a moment where, out of God's control, this is this is what he said there, or this is what our response has to be to God's sovereignty. I am willing to receive what you send, to lack what you withhold, to relinquish what you take, to suffer what you inflict, and to do what you command, and to be what you require because I really do believe you are the God who is in control. That's got to be our posture and heart. Amazement at who he is, submission to who he is, filled with unshakable hope, because our God is in control. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you that you are in control. May we, Lord, we are watching, we are watching things take place in the world and in our country that most of us have only read about in history books. We see warning signs on the wall and it is discouraging, it is frightening, it is frustrating. God, not only that, but we see parts of people who may or may not be believers in churches that may or may not be real churches, but who are advocating for things that are clearly against your will. God, there is so much to be afraid of and there is so much to be discouraged about. But may we not 
fall there. May we weep before you. May we share our fears before you. But God, we should look like in this time when everybody seems hopeless, we should be pillars of hope because you are our God and you are on your throne. You are good, you are gracious, you are almighty, you are all-knowing, nothing is taking you by surprise, and you are moving all things, both in our individual lives personally and, and in the world globally, you are moving all things to your appointed glorious end. So Father, may we be humble people who don't dictate to you or think we can dictate to you the way it should be, but who just submit to you in the way you are. May we be people of hope who give a, a gracious and respectful answer when the world asks, why do you have that hope? Jesus, we look to you. It's in your name I pray. Amen.